Welcome to the Kelly Patrick Show. Thank you so much for tuning in. In today's episode, I am joined by big, sexy Billy Swanson. Billy is a professional heavyweight MMA fighter, also hosts his own podcast, now runs his own MMA promotion. Very fascinating guy to chat with. A lot of wisdom coming from Billy Swanson. Really appreciate you tuning in. If you're a fan of the Kelly Patrick Show, I ask that you please send some referrals the way of my sponsors. The title sponsor of the show is Louisville Combat Academy, located at 7908 Beulah Church Road, Louisville, Kentucky, 40228. They have a great MMA program, but also, even if you aren't planning on fighting in the cage, they have a great jiu-jitsu program for adults, female-friendly classes, and a great kids program also. Check out Louisville Combat Academy. Heidi Solars Coots. Heidi is a licensed clinical social worker and licensed clinical alcohol and drug counselor, specializing in treating anxiety, depression, trauma, and addiction with a mindful and holistic approach. Heidi is actually my mother, and I can attest she is a saint. Call her at 502-457-1823. Virtual and telephonic appointments are available anywhere in the United States. Veercast Digital Media. Veercast Digital Media at veercast.com. Matt McCarthy runs Veercast, and he is also the producer for The Kelly Patrick Show. They do video production, aerial drone photography, web design, and podcast production. Contact them at info at veercast.com to start your own video show or podcast. Also, my health insurance practice, Benefits Analysis Corporation. Based in Troy, Ohio, I work from my Louisville, Kentucky office. I can help anyone in the United States with their health insurance needs. I'm an independent broker for health insurance solutions for individuals, families, Medicare-eligible individuals, and also groups. I can also write life insurance, and long-term care. If you want to support the podcast, please send me some referrals. 502-386-0978. Welcome to the Kelly Patrick Show. Thank you so much for tuning in. In today's episode, I am joined by Big Sexy, Billy Swanson. Billy, how are you today? I'm doing good, man. How are you? Doing very well. Really appreciate you joining me. Being this is the first time I've gotten to chat with you, Billy, if it's all right, could you introduce yourself to the Kelly Patrick Show audience? Um, I know you are uh, a professional MMA fighter. Pro record, I believe, is four and three, and I think your amateur record was eight and one. Uh, are both those numbers accurate? And then beyond that, it was uh, yeah, it was nine and one as an amateur, but yeah, four and three as a pro, nine and one as an amateur. Um, I was number one in Tennessee in the Southeast and uh, the UMAF national champion as an amateur. Um, also had uh, Valor Fott's amateur heavyweight belt and the Apex amateur heavyweight belt. Um, and then uh, as a pro, I won the AFC Alabama Fight Championship pro heavyweight title. And then uh, in the past year, I've taken two short notice fights for both Bellator and PFL. Um, those fights didn't go my way, but, uh, you know, I mean, they couldn't find anyone to fight both of those big Brazilian guys on, you know, four and six day notice. And I stepped up. So, um, but now I'm uh, currently, uh, I own my own gym, Chattanooga MMA college in uh, Chattanooga, Tennessee. Um, and then, uh, I also own all or nothing fights, 
um, which is a regional fight promotion. Uh, we've uh, only had all AMI events so far. We're going on our fourth event. Uh, we've only, I've only been running shows for about a year. Uh, but starting next year, we're going to add pros in, and uh, it'll be a regional promotion for both amateurs and uh, professional fighters to try and help gain their followings and uh, help try and catapult them to the world level. Okay, and if we could back up a little bit, Billy, where are you from? Where did you grow up at? What sports did you play growing up? Uh, what brought you to the world of combat sports? Uh, so I, uh, I moved around a lot when I was a little kid, um, you know, probably more than most people. Um, and then about middle school, I kind of settled in uh, the Chattanooga, especially the Saudi Daisy, uh, Tennessee area. And uh, I, I stayed there, went to middle school there. Um, I played football growing up. And uh, f- first I was really just a football player. And then um, around middle school, I got talked into joining the wrestling team because they said it would help me become a better football player, which I will say it does. Um, <laughs> but uh, then after, you know, just being on enough teams that weren't, the greatest, uh, in football, but, uh, you know, wrestling, I could kind of shine my own lot. I wound up having more passion for wrestling. Um, wound up being a two time state finalist, uh, for Saudi Daisy high school. I won state my senior year. Um, and if you know anything about wrestling, there's three different styles of wrestling that is wrestled. There's folk style, which, uh, which is what is wrestled in America and it's what is like our competitive version of wrestling. And there's freestyle and Greco. And uh, in freestyle and Greco, uh, it's like a lot more slams and stuff like that. That's what's more wrestled on the international level. And uh, no other country wrestles folk style other than America. Um, well, in high school, I was a two-time state finalist folk style you know, wrestler. But in freestyle and Greco, I was a four-time state champion in freestyle, a three-time state champion in Greco. Um, I was on all the Team Tennessee national wrestling teams. Um, I was supposed to go to UTC and wrestle uh, and then didn't uh, – they wound up stopping recruiting me because I got an underage drinking charge my senior year during football season. And so then uh, long story short, I wound up going to King University, wrestled there, didn't really like the coach. Um finished out the school year and then came back. And once I came back, uh, kind of went back to my alma mater, Saudi and, uh, was helping coach for a couple of years and, uh, got really out of shape. Got like up to 330 pounds and, uh, you know, then kind of had like a, a gut check with myself. I was like, how can I tell these kids to, uh, you know, be striving for, you know, perfection and be the best versions of themselves. And then here I am, I'm wasting all this athletic ability and, you know, I've built myself up to this caliber of a wrestler and then I'm just going to let it go to waste. And, uh, if you know anything about wrestling, then like, uh, there's really not much follow up past like college wrestling. Like even the guys who wrestle on an international level, like unless you're the several time Olympic champion, you're not really making good money doing it. Um, and so, like, for wrestlers, like, your real only option to make money past competitive wrestling is go do, like, fake wrestling, WWE, or, you know, go into MMA. And uh, so after, like, I kind of gut-checked myself and uh, 
ironically, one of the uh, kids that I was coaching at the time, his dad was there and he wound up being my first MMA coach. And uh, he came up to me. He's like, man, I, even though you're as big as you are, he's like, you move very, very light on your feet. And uh, I think you'd really have some success at, uh, you know, with MMA. And then uh, just a series kind of events, like I got jumped on my 20th birthday and it kind of showed me wrestling wouldn't solve all my problems. And then, uh, you know, wanting to lose the weight, but not really liking to run and stuff like that kind of led me into MMA. And then uh, when I first got into it, I had no urge of competing. Like uh, I, I used to tell people, like, I'm not going to be one of those monkeys in the cage, you know, beating on people and getting beat on for entertainment. And then here I am. <laughs> eight years later. Uh, but, uh, like, uh, no, I would say that it's something that, like, uh, martial arts in general is something that I have always had passion for. Um, it, you know, like, I get bored with things very easily. Um, so, like, you know, when I get bored with it, I just kind of put it down and I'm, I'm done with it. And, um, like, there's so many things that you can learn in MMA that it – it's honestly like there's really never enough shit that you could possibly get bored with it because, uh, you know, especially MMA wise, like, cause you've got to be good at boxing. You've got to be good at, you know, kickboxing. You got to have good jujitsu. You got to have good wrestling. Like, so there's always somewhere where you could further your game. I agree on a very low level. I, I practice kind of as a hobby, you know, jujitsu in a boxing class and then some kickboxing and, I mean, you could take an entire lifetime and devote it just to whatever, boxing, and you wouldn't get bored. Well, I agree. And I, I tell a lot of people in my gym, so um, there are a lot of life lessons in martial arts that you would never realize from, like, the outside looking in. And, um, like, prime example, like, one thing that a lot of people do is they set physical limitations on themselves. One of the first things I hear all the time is, I'm too old for that. I'm too fat for that. You know, shit like that. That's you telling yourself that you can't do that. And you're damn right. Uh, Thomas, uh, I believe it's Thomas Edison has a quote where it's uh, it's Thomas Edison or Thomas Jefferson. But uh, it's where uh, you could, or actually, I might be wrong. This might be Einstein. But uh, you could judge a goldfish but everybody's a genius, but if you judge a goldfish on its ability to climb a tree, it will live its whole life believing it's stupid. And so, um, you know, that's, that's the re reality. Like, uh, you, everybody's talented in their own ways, but you shouldn't idolize other people. You should look internally and figure out what you truly have passion for and what you're truly gifted at. And, um, like I said, martial arts is not for everybody. Like, you know, like the, in, in, as far as competitive laws, like, uh, but I believe that like in training, there are different things that like, you'll see that there are so many ways that teach you different personal growth, uh, valuable lessons for life. Like, uh, you don't set limitations on yourself anymore. It teaches you how to stay disciplined and dedicated. Um, you, you have to have that, you know, dealing with different adversity. There's days where you're going to get your ass whipped. So you're going to have to like learn to fight through that. And, uh, like once you have that, what I tell people, it's a warrior's mentality. Um, once you develop that warrior's mentality, then you're not a victim at life. If there's anything you set your mind to, you'll be able to conquer. Wow. That's pretty deep. 
pretty heartfelt stuff. I, I, I know it, it to some listening, it may sound kind of corny or cheesy or something, but I have a feeling you you have many examples of not just yourself, but within your gym, I'm sure. You'll have someone who comes in and they're 29 years old. They say, I'm too fat, like you said, or I'm too old. I, you know, I don't know what to do. And then you actually, and then also with kids, but you actually see them do some shit, even if they don't turn into a world beater, but it, it impacts them in such a positive way. It, it, once again, we're getting super corny here, but it really is true. This shit is, well, is well, empowering. So, so I, I tell my, my guys one that the, my philosophy on coaching, okay, is one, you, you can tell the difference in a subpar coach and a world level coach very, very easily. And it's in the description on how, what they give you. Okay. The subpar coach will show you a technique. They'll be like, here's a jab cross, go do it. Where the world level coach is going to be able to tell you why you're doing what you're doing when you're doing it and going to be able to put so much science behind it. Okay. Like when you throw your jab, your jab has to, your shoulder rolls up to protect your chin because it only takes seven to 12 pounds of pressure to knock you unconscious. Your other hand needs to stay at home protecting your face so that you don't leave a window for them to just throw a looping shot while you're throwing a punch and then crack you. Um, like, you can't allow your chest to go over top of your knee because then that puts you off balance. And if you weren't making contact with the punch, you're going to fall on your face. So like, like I said, when, when you have a good coach, they're going to be able to teach you all these different points that make this technique more register in your mind as to why you're doing what you're doing when you're doing it. And if you don't understand that, then you're just throwing, you're shooting fish in the dark. Like, and, and so like, that's, that's the thing that people don't understand is like one of the easiest ways to start learning to grow past physical limitations and actually patting yourself on the back and understanding what you're truly capable of is to work out. Okay. Like, you know, you go walk, ask any guy, like how tough they are. They're going to be like, Oh, I'm pretty damn tough, but they don't really know. But are you able to drop at that moment and do a hundred push-ups without stopping? I mean, if you can't, then you're not in that great of shape. Like, are you able to run, take off right now and run two miles? Well, if you can't, then you're not, you're not in physical shape. And that's where people build false confidence and set unrealistic limitations on themselves at times. Like, you know, like, if my if I'm 400 pounds, then I shouldn't be saying, "Yeah, I'm gonna be a UFC champion next year." Like, no, th I should set a more realistic goal. Hey, I'm gonna have my big ass down to 280 pounds by next year. Like, and then after I hit, hit that goal, then I go, "Hey, okay, now now that I'm at 280 pounds, now I'm gonna strive to be the best amateur around." Then once I'm the best amateur around. Then I strive, hey, now that I've been the best amateur, I'm going to be the best regional professional around. Right? You've got to set these little goals. And um, Denzel Washington, I watch a lot of motivational videos and quotes. And so like you'll, as you talk to me, you'll say I'm kind of like a thesaurus of them. But uh, Denzel Washington quote, has a quote where, if you have a desire in your heart to do something good, that is God's premonition sent to you beforehand. This is what I'll give you if you work for it. In other words, meaning like anything you daydream about that's positive and beneficial to the world, that's God sending you that vision going, hey, 
This is the life I'll give you. If you don't listen to everybody else around and you believe you can do it and you work and you sell out for it, this is what I'll give you. And most people don't see that. So like when you're a child, you have all these wild aspirations. Okay. You're like, I want to be an astronaut. I want to be a president. I want to be this. I want to be that. And then you have all these people who have felt and are miserable in life coming around you and they go, Oh, you can't do that, Kelly. You can't do that. Like that's, that's dumb. You should do this instead. You'll make money. And they tell you all these different things. And my whole life, man, is the epitome of not listening to those people. So everything that I built, when I first got into uh, MMA, everybody around me, my mentors, my, you know, father figures, parents, all, all sorts of stuff. People were like, why don't do that, man. You could get hurt. Uh, don't put all your eggs in that basket. You're never going to really make money at it. And then here I am eight years later, I fight on a world level. I own my own gym. I own my own promotion. I own my own podcast. Like, uh, and we're just continuing to grow and I'm finding more and more ways to exploit martial arts and my talent and my passion instead of listening to other people and chasing a career. Because I, I promise you, it doesn't matter. And that's really what I, I see a lot of different people, especially men men of all sorts of ages, they will, without martial arts, they kind of feel like they don't have purpose in life. So they just go to work every day. They come home. They, they're, they're with their family. And given they do love their family, but if you work 12 to 14 hour days, then you're going to be feeling pretty miserable from working, especially if you don't enjoy what you're doing. And so like, I'm a firm believer in the more you put yourself in a toxic environment and atmosphere then you just fuel that depression you fuel that negative energy and then that's all that you're going to manifest where when you put yourself in somewhere where you have passion even when it gets difficult and uh you know troubling you still have passion for what you're doing so you're going to continue to do it wow billy swanson the philosopher i was not expecting this deep of a conversation to be honest uh, I'm a man of many layers. So like, uh, I've rock, I've read, uh, I've rocked a mullet for a few years and then I cut that off cause people kept trying to treat me like I was ignorant. Uh, honestly, man, when I was in college, okay. So this is what's funny about me fighting now. Um, so I was actually going to be a physics major and become a civil engineer. So instead of doing that, I took the hard road and I've had to work construction, repo cars, 18 hours a day, like all sorts of different audience jobs just to make fighting be my life. And uh, I think that's what a, a lot of people don't understand about the grind, so to say, is like if you're not willing to give your last dollar for your dream to, to try and build it in some way, then you're never going to make it to a, a point where anyone's ever going to pay you big money to do it. And so like, I remember, man, there was times where I used to train in Cleveland, Tennessee, which is about an hour from me. And uh, so I was driving a truck at the time and gas was like $5 a gallon. And so I would have to drive out there and back twice a day to train. And uh, it would cost me $10 in gas every, every time. And so, like, I literally would, um, I remember 
countless times where I would have to put my last dollar in the gas tank to drive out to Cleveland to go train for the second time that day, knowing that I was hungry before I left and I was going to return hungry and out of fuel, but at least I got to go train. And keeping a schedule like that is when I won a national title as an amateur. And so, like, people don't understand, like, it's it's what you're willing to sacrifice to make those dreams come true is really the the parameter on what you could accomplish. Um, and 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 the big thing is is like I said, there's so many negative people out there who will tell you that you can't do something. But the the fact of it is, is if you're willing to work for it, you slave after it day after day and you you build something then it may not happen as quickly as you want it to but it's bound to happen like you're gonna and also like i said you know there's a lot of people who work you know don't get me wrong i I was supposed to be a civil engineer i'm very good with numbers i would have if you know starting out i think that job pays like 85 90 thousand a year okay so like you know i would have started out making damn good money been able to build a nice life living that but in my opinion i wouldn't be near as um happy or uh accomplished as i am had i ventured into that life because it's like i said you know a lot of men regardless of what they're doing they'll go collect that paycheck and they'll listen to people but they they lack that purpose they you know, and some guys will will do. They'll go try and fill that void with like lifting weights and all that. But uh, it's really more or less that that camaraderie. Like uh, when you have a, another pack of men who are, and not just men, women as well. But you know, pack of people who are striving to be the best versions of themselves and pushing each other and holding each other accountable to do that. Like it's a very toxic and it, I say toxic in a good way. Like it's a very toxic atmosphere, is in it, it just it engulfs everybody. Then everybody wants to work their their hardest and and push to be the best version of themselves. Um, and and that's really like I said, man. That's what I try to implement here at my gym. Is like we have people of all walks, man. I have people who are in here just trying to lose weight. I have children who are in here who are learning for self defense. I have adults who are in here trying to uh, you know build a career. And, uh, like, but that's the thing I tell people, I scream it at them almost on a daily basis. We're only as strong as our weakest link. Like, and so like we, we, we all hold each other accountable. We all push each other for, you know, better things inside and outside the gym, you know, that way we can all accomplish what we're after. You mentioned you are a fan of motivational, you know, quotes and motivational videos, things like that. You referring to men or people in particular that kind of lack a purpose and lack that healthy outlook that rings a bell for me for a few different, you know, books or authors. Do you have any favorite, I don't know, maybe a favorite author or a favorite book that comes to mind when I ask you that? Uh, so what's funny is as you, you know, they can't see cause they're listening, but I'm pretty blonde. So, um, up until like a year or two ago, I, about a year ago, I didn't have glasses. And so I've had horrible vision from the time I was like a kid on, I've got two stigmatisms in both, or I got a stigmatism in both my eyes. And, um, so like, uh, I used to not like to read 
because like it was really hard without glasses because I would have to like really squint to see what I was trying to read. Um, but, uh, so that's really why I listen to more like motivational videos and stuff than I would say that I read, but, uh, I listen to like a little bit of everything, man. Like, uh, like there's a lot of very inspirational people with great stories out there. Um, like you've got TD Jakes, uh, he's, you know, TJ Jakes is a pastor who like most of his stuff is religious related, but then you've got like, uh, there's Zig Ziglar, there's Jim Rohn, there's, uh, let's see here. Um, Matthew McConaughey has some really good stuff. Steve Harvey has some really good stuff. Um, you know, and like, like I said, it, it doesn't necessarily have to be anyone on anything. Like I think, uh, more or less it's more just the, the message that they're, they're portraying. Like, um, I, and I think that's what resonates with most people is like, you have these world level people and world level athletes that get to that level. And then they act like they're not an ordinary, uh, you know, person. They, they act like they're bigger than life and, uh, that what, you know, that they don't have time for, you know, everyday humans. And that, like, I don't think that's how it should be. I think, uh, and also I, I don't believe the quote, um, money makes you, you know, a bad person. I believe that money makes you more of what you already are. So if you're already a bad, toxic piece of shit, like, yeah, that's all it's going to influence and, you know, prosper. But like, if you're a good person who's trying to do good for the you know community and people around you, then uh, I think once you get money, then that's what will end up happening. Um, and, and, and I would say I'm, I'm, I'm different, man. So, like, I, I've grown a lot through different life experiences. So, like, and what I mean by that is, um, like, I and this ain't to say anything bad about my parents or anything, but uh, I had different, uh, different things that I had to survive through as a child that, honestly, most of the shit that I survived through by the time I was 18, most men who were... 56 haven't went through near as adverse shit as I went through. And, uh, like I was like pretty much at like 14, 15 years old, I was surviving on my own. And, uh, like that, and that, that's the thing is like, people don't realize like when I was younger, I, I had no control over my attitude. It was because like, that's what I had to, I had to be that angry person who was pissed off the world because I was protecting myself. And then as I've grown, I've, I've learned more peace. I've learned more, you know, value and like really who and what I want around me and in my life. And, um, and then, like I said, man, like my whole life, uh, you, it, it goes all the way back to when I won state in wrestling. Like, um, I've learned the, and I would call it the secret to life, but you know, it, it stems from when you're a child, you know, it's your imagination. It's what you really focus and obsess about in your head is what will prosper. And, uh, so like, you know, when I was in high school wrestling, I really wanted to become a state champion in folk style wrestling so I could have a state championship ring. And I was like, all right, you know, I'm, I'm going to win this. And I remember being at, uh, the class ring meeting. Um, 
and I'm sitting here flipping through it and I get like halfway through the meeting. And I'm like, Oh man, these look cool. Yada, yada. And then like yet again, one of those gut checks, I kind of got pissed off at myself and I was like, you're not in band. You're not one of these people who just walk the halls. Like you're, you're an athlete and you're, a, you were a runner up last year. Like you're either going to win state and have a state championship ring or you'll have no damn ring because that's a consolation prize. And so sure enough, now I have two state championship rings because not only did I win individually, but we won as a team that year. And um, so like, you know, like I'm, uh, and then like, like I said, you know, like everything that I've kind of built in life uh, and, and I've learned through martial arts, man, like uh, martial arts and wrestling taught me how to really deal with adversity. Anytime I've been financially broke or, you know, hit with hardships where most people are mentally weak and they would, you know, start overly obsessing about the negative and the bad. Um, I would say wrestling really taught me to problem solve and not overly obsess about the bad, but obsess about like what I need to do to get myself out of that situation. And um, so like, that's really how I analyze every, everything in life. I like when people treat me poorly, instead of me overly getting pissed off and staying hateful towards, I just cut them off and I don't associate with them no more. I know like where, where they fall and like their loyalty to me. And instead of me holding on and me being the only one pissed off, cause they don't feel anything about how they just treated me. Like I just go on and I do my own thing because I, man, at the end of the day, and it, it does kind of sound very, selfish in a way but i know what i i give to people like i know i know how how much i'm willing to go out on a limb at, to not only teach them my knowledge but try and help them become better people and really like they they could call me any time of day so like if 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 you've made it to the point where i've cut you off at that point then all you've done is continually do something wrong and i've learned from continually trying to help you that it's just wasting my time and energy. And, uh, so like, but like I said, that's, that's the big thing is I've, I've survived so many different adverse situations that it's really taught me that, you know, there's nothing that I can't accomplish anything that I really have passion for. I, I obsess about, I figure it out and then it's done. Um, you know, two, two and a half years ago, I was left in a situation where, the gym I was a part of was crumbling. And so it was either me go join these other gyms and not be able to really further myself in my opinion, uh, because I would have to part time and then pay them memberships. And it was just going to be a bunch of money that I was spending between traveling and all that. Um, or I could open my own gym. And so when I went to open my own gym, everybody's like, Oh man, you can't do that. There's no way if you're opening in the middle of COVID. You really think you'll be successful. Boom. I've been open almost two years. I'm about to grow the facility. Um, uh, after being open a year, I met my financial partner in my promotion, and I told people I'm not. I'm about to start my own promotion. Oh, really? There's no way. There's no way you could do that. We're going into our fourth event, uh, and we've had three successful events so far this past year. Like, uh, so, like, more or less, like that. That's really what. I've learned in life is like, if you, it's your perspective. Like when you are hit with adverse situations, instead of, you know, looking at it in a negative light, 
fully like and it can be a negative situation not saying that you can't go okay this was fucked up about this situation but like instead of harping on the negative and how you feel about it instead use that feeling and how you feel about that situation and figure out ways to never allow yourself to be in that situation again and in my opinion that's personal growth and that's that's also another life lesson that martial arts teaches you like you know like prime example say you say we were rolling jujitsu okay and i put you in a rear naked choke okay and i tap you in a five minute roll i tap you 10 times in that rear naked choke well you're gonna go home and you're gonna be like damn man i really need to he kept catching me in that rear rear naked choke. How do I defend that? And so you're going to obsess about that position because you don't want me to catch you 10 times again in five minutes. And so like, you're going to personally grow in that area because you obsessed about how not to put yourself in that position again. And so that, that, like I said, man, that's a secret to life right there that martial arts teaches you is like when you deal with, uh, Hey, I'm financially broke. Okay. Well, did you blow all your money? Were you, did you make a poor business investment? Did, you know, something happen like a pandemic that just wasn't out of your control and it just was a catastrophe? Like, you know, analyze those situations and then like figure out ways not to put yourself in them again. Like, and then you hopefully won't wind up in them. And like, and that's, that's the thing, man. Uh, there's a, his name's Art Williams. There's a video he's got uh, in one of his speeches. It's called uh, Just Do It. And so Art Williams was the creator of A.L. Williams. Um, and that's an insurance company. And so when he first started, he was a high school football coach. And so everybody was like, you know, making fun of him because he was redneck guy. And he's like trying to build insurance with all these guys who are first class in these suits with these college degrees and all this shit. And, like, you know, he learned that, like, the funny thing about smart people in business is they always are trying to figure out an easier or a quicker way, and they don't ever really get around to doing anything. Where if you just put the work ethic in, anything that you want will prosper. I love it. I absolutely love it. Like I joked earlier, Billy Swanson, the philosopher, we're getting real deep with some motivational life coaching uh, types of directions. Do you think there's a misnomer or a misconception about who Billy Swanson is? Um, I know some of the videos I've seen of you over the years. I mean, you could probably tell me uh, what I'm thinking. You tell me what, what's the craziest sh like videos that are out there floating around about you. Someone says, Oh, this is this big fucking heavyweight MMA fighter. He's got a mullet. He's in this bar. And you know, I saw this crazy ass video. They don't expect yeah, this type so, of stuff. So, from me. First off, so, tell me the story about that. And then also is that kind of your reputation? Whereas it shouldn't be. Um, well, I've always been the type of person, man, and anyone who's known me from the time I was a kid will tell you this. Like, I've always been the type of person where if you cross me wrong and you say something that offends me, I'm going to fight you. Like, <laughs> but, like, and that's that's the thing is, like, you know, like, I've gotten a lot better with that as I've gotten older and, you know, trained more martial arts and all that. I've learned how to control my emotions better. But, like, when I was younger, man, if, like, the shit I had to go through as a kid, like, if you looked at me wrong, I would fight you. Like, I, I'd be like, who the, who the fuck are you looking at? Like, 
wipe that look off your face. Like, and uh, then as I've gotten older, like I said, I've gotten a better control over my temper and uh, attitude. And uh, like, so more or less, like now you've really got to push buttons. Cause I, one, I'm very good at talking shit. Like, uh, so like if I want somebody to fight me, nine times out of 10, I'll talk enough shit to you that like, you'll hit me. Like even, even if you know that you're about to get your ass whipped, like I'm very good at like talking shit, but, um, I don't know. I've just been kind of a different character. Like I've never one really cared what people think about me because I know the people who love me, love me. Um, you know, and like one, I feel like that's one thing that too many people do is they try and they build a life based off what other people's perception of them is. And that, that really, if you do that, then you're going to always live in chaos where if you find internal peace and happiness, then you won't give two shits what anyone thinks and you'll be happy with your family. If they're happy, you'll be happy with your life. If if that's what you're happy with. Um, and that, that's the thing is like, you know, like one thing that used to get to me a lot and really caused me to talk a lot of shit was I used to be very insecure about my weight. And so like, you know, because my nickname is big sexy, uh, which was given to me by my teammates, they made me go with that nickname and I didn't want to. And, uh, as soon as I did, like I started having all these people say all this negative shit on the flyers when they were shared, they'd be like, look at this fat motherfucker that calls himself big, sexy. Like he, he sure bet you his ego so inflated, like talking all sorts of shit, man. Like, and like that used to kind of really get to me. And so like, I would respond to every single person that said a negative impact, like comment. And I'd start talking shit back to him. And so like, like in one night, my fight flyers would blow up to like two to 3,000 comments. And so like instead of that, more or less, like uh, like I said, I've learned to, you know, really not give a shit what people think about me because w- when you look at fighting or really anyone who's going to, in my opinion, make millions off selling merchandise or anything like that, like then you have to really understand that you're not going to have everybody like you like most, some people are going to like you. Some people are going to hate you. Some people aren't going to give two shits about you. And like, so it's just a matter of, you've got to put stuff out there that in my opinion stands out from the rest. Like you can't just be the same guy. And so like when you look at a lot of these different fighters, most of them are men. And so they have very aggressive, uh, testosterone filled names, you know, the killer, the, the, the whole shit like that, where, you know, I have big sexy. And so like, uh, I've sold more shirts and shit to women than I guarantee any other male fighter has. And it's just because like it, it appeals to women cause they like it as well. Cause it's not some, you know, like I said, testosterone filled name. Um, and then, uh, past that, like, you know, I just do different, like catchy stuff. Like, this is one of my hats. Like, do you want to hit this? It's an entendre. Um, do you want to you know, hit this? His hat says, do you want to hit this? Yeah. Uh, I've got hats that say make America sexy again. Um, you know, just like different, like catchy things like that. And uh, like, like one, yes, I am. I've got a pretty funny sense of humor. So like 
you never really, if you follow me on social media, you never really know what I'm going to post. Um, but I would say like, no, like a lot of people don't realize in my opinion, how intelligent I am at times. Um, and I, I know that I've, I've even seen it in some of the insults, like, and in, you know, when people comment on shit, like, look at this dumb redneck with a mullet who's getting punched in the face. And it's like, you know, you, in a way, I guess you could see it as dumb because I'm getting punched in the face, but it's what I have passion for. Um, and I, I'm multi-talented, man. Like, uh, like I said, I, it's just whatever I, I decide to, you know, really obsess about, I figure out like, uh, me and my dad, uh, have a 79 Ford that we've damn near completely restored and pulled out of the woods and stuff. And I've done a lot of the work with him on that. Uh, that is now my daily driver. Um, we have, you know, I, I've done a lot of construction over the years. So like my gym, I'm the one who did the complete layout and built it out just about by myself. Um, and so like, there's, there's a lot of different things, like I said, that where I'm very hands-on and I don't, where most people are like, Oh, I don't know how to do that. I'm like, all right, well, fuck it. Let's get on YouTube and figure it out. Sounds like you have a pretty good relationship with your father. Mind if I ask, what does he do for work? Uh, so my dad, when I was growing up, most of the time he drove like 18 wheelers or, uh, did like, uh, industrial cleaning or, uh, at different times he, you know, drove like cement mixers and stuff for like concrete companies. Uh, now currently he works two jobs. Uh, he works in like a rock quarry where he drives, you know, like a big, big truck. Um, and then, uh, he's also like a manager part-time at like a auto zone um right there by his house so he's kind of like me man he's actually who i get it from like uh when i say when i say that i mean like uh my my work ethic and like i i have always like i feel like the energizer bunny at times like where most people are like, how in the hell is he doing all this? I like when I have different downtimes where I just sit around, that's when I get like in my head the most and uh, like depressed and different shit like that. And so uh, really what I try and do is I really feel a lot of my, I would say like stagnant hours with different things that, you know, I can take my mind off of things and like build stuff and work on stuff. Cause uh, you know, like in my opinion, that's also why I enjoy coaching is because it's the same kind of concept of, I, I really enjoy seeing things that I can visualize in my mind and then watching them be brought to life. And so like, uh, you know, that goes as far as like, you know, us restoring that truck. Like, you know, I knew like it would be a nice truck once we, put the work in, uh, building the gym, building the promotion, uh, coaching different fighters and like building up, you know, their different techniques and like where they could potentially be in two to five to 10 years. Um, so like, like I said, I think that's another one of my big passions is I, I love to bring the visions that I see in my mind to life. Wow. I, I, uh, no offense to you, but I wasn't expecting, so much energy and specific uh, direction when it comes to the motivational lifestyle type stuff that you've been talking about. A, a great interview, Billy. I, I really appreciate you joining me today. Before we uh, move on with the interview, are you doing okay on time? Yeah, no, we're good. Um, 
I like to get in the middle of the episodes if we can. If someone's interested in learning more about your gym, your MMA promotion, following you on social media, how could they follow you? How could they learn more about Big Sexy Billy Swanson? And, and how can they check those things out to support them? Uh, so I'm on just about all social medias. Um, most of it is under, uh, you know, big sexy Billy Swanson. Um, like, uh, I'm very active on Facebook, Instagram, and, uh, we have TikTok as well. Um, which I just created my TikTok. I'm not as active on there as I am. Uh, I, we created that because we also created one for all or nothing. And so I was like, you know, might as well. But, um, ideally, um, as far as the gym goes, uh, anyone who's ever in Chattanooga or in around is more than welcome to stop in. You don't have to make an appointment or anything. Um, the gym is Chattanooga MMA College. Um, I'm here 8 a.m. to 8 p.m. Monday through Friday, 10 a.m. to 2 p.m. on Saturday, um, and we're closed on Sunday. Uh, I offer a week's worth of classes for free, so you're able to come in, try the gym out, make sure you like it and like the atmosphere before you commit to any contract or anything. Um, the promotion, uh, I have my next upcoming event. It's ANF four bodies on the floor. It's, you know, our fourth event. Um, it will be November 19th in Saudi Daisy, uh, Saudi Daisy, Tennessee. Um, it's actually at the gym that, uh, I grew up wrestling in. So like my name's on the wall is like a state champion in there. Um, and then, uh, if anyone's interested in fighting, you know, on that or any future events, you're more than welcome to reach out to me through social medias. Uh, you don't have to necessarily be local to Tennessee. Um, I have like this current event. I have people coming from North Carolina, all over Georgia, all over Alabama, all over Tennessee. Like, you know, I, I really pretty much bring people from all over the East coast. So, uh, like if you're wanting a fair opportunity where we're really trying to catapult these fighters and grow their social medias, um, you know, definitely hit me up. Um, like prime example, one of our, uh, kids who uh, did a youth kickboxing match on our last event, uh, he had a really goofy interview where he said some, <laughs> he said he liked to wrestle grown men in his underwear and, uh, that blew up on TikTok. Um, wait, 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 wait. So a kid, a kid said that? Yeah, he's he's a goofy kid. Like he was just joking, but uh, he was yeah. like he was wanting the video to go viral, and he's like, you know, so he's saying all this like outlandish stuff. Could have been uh, worse. Like, yeah. Could have been worse stuff to say than that. Yeah, he's and uh, but like the video though, uh, like I said, it went viral on TikTok within a week of being posted on TikTok. It had over a half a million views. So like, it's really helped that kid. Uh, grow his social media followings and stuff like that. And that's, uh, that's what we're really trying to help everybody do. Like anybody who's coming to try and fight for us. Uh, we're not one of these regional promotions that's trying to hold you here and like keep you here and never allow you to, you know, make it to the next level and make good money at this. Instead, we're trying to kind of fast track that and, uh, really help you make feasible incomes while, you know, while you're fighting and throughout your career. Billy, you're at the stage of your career where you have started your own promotion. I think you said you've done, is it three events so far, getting ready to do your fourth? Is that right? Yes, sir. Okay. So the, the art of being an MMA promoter is very fascinating. Okay. You and I have both seen promotions come and go. Some promotions, you know, uh, they'll do a good job of, 
of uh, staying within their means. Maybe they'll use high school gyms. They'll pay the fighters real minimal. Maybe they'll do, even do all amateur cards just to stay alive, and, and they'll really uh, operate within their means, and they'll survive over time. We've seen also where promotions come, and they maybe they, I know this sounds bad to say, but they pay their fighters too much. They get too fancy of cameras or equipment or venues, and then everything's going great for a few uh, events, and then everything folds, and you're like, oh shit, what happened to that promotion? You're like, oh shit, they overextended themselves. It makes sense. When it comes to the art of being an MMA promoter, what have your experiences been thus far? Are there a lot of dirt bags in the industry? Um, Also, uh, what do you have to say about that balancing act that I'm describing? So I will say I had the whole reason I started my own show is because there was a regional promoter that I had 14 fights for. And uh, in that time, I started discovering that like one, I was doing what I was supposed to. He was putting me out there against monsters. And as an amateur, you know, you're supposed to fight anyone that they can find. So that's what I did. Anyone he would bring me, I would say yes, and I would fight them. Didn't matter on how short a notice. Any, uh, You know, I'm jumping out there. I fought 10 fights in two years, okay, and knocked off a lot of big-name regional guys. And so then I go pro, and I'm like, all right, you know, now I'm supposed to start making money at this. And uh, so I win my first fight against a really tough guy, and I get paid bum lead pay and i'm like okay man well you know all right i guess i understand it's my pro debut so then my second fight he puts me against and you may know this name harry hunsucker and he tells me that harry hunsucker's a bum that he's fought nobodies that he's got no wrestling i should just go take him down yada yada i get knocked out in that fight harry hunsucker then goes on to the ufc uh well then after that he goes, oh, man, well, you lost your fight, so I've actually got to drop your payback. So they drop me back down and pay me less the next fight, which then I fight an American top team guy that his record wasn't great, but the motherfucker trains with some of the best guys in the world, and he's an explosive kickboxer that used to be in the NFL. I fight him for 400-400 at an event that I sold 7,000 tickets for. 7,000 okay. tickets? It was, in, it was in my hometown. I sold 7,000 tickets for it. Wow. Okay. So, or not 7,000 individual, but $7,000, you know. Like, gotcha, $7,000. Okay. You, you I know, I should, I should make more than 400, 400. Like, gotcha. Okay. Like, and, and uh, so, like, long story short, I was, I was helping them pretty much put these shows on and, they were coming to my hometown and I was being the middleman and I wasn't getting paid for none of this. And, uh, like I was getting them sponsors. I was doing all sorts of shit to get them to come. So I make more money and they're not paying me more money. And so like, then finally I start kind of having it out with this matchmaker. And I'm like, look, man, like it, I don't see how in the fuck, not only do I sell more money, but I'm fighting tougher people each fight. How does my pay go down? Oh man, that's just the way it works. Then I start looking at the way he's running the shows. Well, he's got three guys fighting monsters, me being one of them. And then he's got 
nine other fights where people are fighting bums and they're not selling a single ticket. And so us that are fighting monsters are having to get paid next to nothing so that he can sell the show and stay afloat. So then I start getting pissed off and I'm like, look, man, you're either going to pay me more or I'm going to go somewhere where they pay me more. And he's like, oh, he gets all cocky. Oh, well, if you can find someone else that'll pay you more than me, go right ahead. All right. So what did I do? Then Sam McAlpin with AFC hit me up and he's like, hey, man, here is a matchup reasonable to this pay for my heavyweight title. Do you want to fight this guy? And I was like, man, it's more than what they're offering me for the matchup up here. Yeah, I'll take the fight. I need to fight so I can get back active and, you know, potentially get to Bellator or UFC or because they're not going to call me because this guy's not giving me fights. Take the fight, win the fight. Two months after that, I get a four-day notice Bellator fight. So, like, that's the reality is I knew I was on that level and I was capable that I'd already done that with an amateur, what I'd beat in my amateur career and who I'd beat early in my pro career, that that call was coming. And so he was just trying to make me lose at a regional level so that he could keep me there, so he could keep me on his show, so I continued to sell five to seven thousand dollars per show for him. And so it made me go, no, all right, to hell with this. And then once I, uh, you know, I, I kind of talked about it, and really, honestly, I'm very, very fortunate that my partner came off. Uh, my partner, partner came along. He saw the passion I had in my gym and how much I had dedicated to it. And uh, he heard me talking about, you know, my idea with the promotion. And he was like, man, if you really want to do this, let's run after it. And so, like, and where you said some people start small and do all, that's exactly what we did. We started with all Amis. Uh, we ran shows in high schools because that's what's got big enough parking. And, you know, until we're really selling 1,200, 1,300 tickets, it doesn't make sense to go to a $15,000 you know, venue, like it makes no sense because then it feels empty. And I know from fighting, okay, when you fight in a venue and there aren't more than a hundred people in attendance, it feels lackluster. I've done it. I did it for PFL where we fought in Universal Studios in Orlando where, but when you fight in a venue and there's 10,000 people there, now you, it, it doesn't matter what you get hit with, like the crowd keeps you alive in a way. And so, like, and that's that's the thing is, like, so we've taken small steps, and that's what I want is I want every event more or less to be a sellout crowd where, you know, I may not make as much because I could have sold a few more tickets, but I am really making sure these fighters are getting a packed out, packed out stadium for them to compete in one. But then also I'm doing different things. Like I said, like we, we released their videos to YouTube that are professionally edited. Uh, we There's photographers there that do stuff. Uh, you know, we're posting their interviews and stuff on TikTok to help them grow their social media followings and stuff. And uh, I think more or less that's what you have to do. If you're not trying to help these regional fighters get to the next level, then you shouldn't be a promoter or a matchmaker. Like, because then, then you're only just trying to line your own pockets. And if you really look at the hindrance of the sport in 
the vast majority of it. That's the reason why you don't see more badass fighters. How how in the hell does somebody who's a UFC champion only get paid two hundred thousand dollars for a win, but somebody who's a boxing champion gets paid fifty fucking million? Like it's just it, and we're doing the more drastically dangerous sport. Like, and you know, like it, it's like I said, just like the pay needs to go up in my opinion. And, uh, like now not saying that I can actually pay them that more, much more, but in reality, that's what it really, that's how you argue for more pay is if you come into one of these world level promotions and you're like, all right, man, I've got 2000 followers on Instagram and 1500 friends on Facebook, they're not going to pay you shit. But if you come in and you've got 50,000 followers on Instagram, you've got a million followers on TikTok and all this shit, they're going to pay you whatever you want to be paid because you have the social media presence that shows that you are going to sell tickets. So even if you're a lower level promotion or a regional promotion, you're not able to pay your fighters too much. That's okay. At least be transparent about it. But beyond that, it's probably important that you then support the upward mobility of your fighters. That's very important, I would imagine. Sounds to me, Billy, like that's what you're saying. If you can't pay that much, that's okay. At least be transparent and support or promote those fighters to go up and to move on to bigger and better things. Well, you've got to, you've got to pay for the caliber of the opponent, Okay. All right, so, and what I mean by that, okay, if I fought somebody that's less than five fights, okay, then that's probably about a 500-500 fight, okay? You know, meaning I make weight, I get $500. If I win the fight, I get another $500. So if I win, I get $1,000 total, okay? Now, if I fought somebody that has 10 fights, that's more like 1,000 and 1,000. And depending on where those 10 fights are, that could be even more. Okay. Like if that's they're 10 and 0 and they've had two fights in Bellator and two in UFC, and then I've got to fight them. No, that's more like a five and five fight, like 5,000, 5,000. And so, like, you've got to understand like the caliber of like opponent. And because one, if you don't understand the business side of this, it's very easy to get fucked. Okay. Like, and what I mean by that is like matchmakers will be like, Oh man, we're on the UFC fight pass. This is a great matchup for you. It's your pro debut. You're going to go fight this guy. Who's got 47 pro fights. He's uh, just got kicked out of the UFC, but he's 35 and nine, you know, like there, or it'd be like 35 and 12, but you know, but that's pretty much like, that's what they're saying. Like, you know, and like, it's not a good matchup for you. If that's your pro debut, it doesn't matter if it's on the UFC fight pass. All, all that they're going to see on the UFC fight pass is you getting fucking slaughtered. Like, and like, that's where, like I said, in this sport, it's very cutthroat. You have different matchmakers and promotions where instead of working with other promotions, they are, trying to and this has actually happened to me and already and and by that other person I was telling you. Um but uh 
where they'll see that you have someone booked on your card and then they'll schedule them for a short notice fight that it's them getting fucked up in the matchup and they lose that fight so that they then pull out of your card. And, you know, like, it's just different little cutthroat shit like that that, man, first off, I'm a man. Like, if I got a problem with you, I'm going to say it to your face. I'm not going to go behind your back. I'm not going to hide and, and be a little chicken shit. I'm going to tell you exactly what I feel and how I feel about it. And, like, and that's the thing is, man, you have so many of these snakes, and it's really the ones, in my opinion, that have never trained or fought. They're usually the ones that are the most cutthroat, lying, manipulative bastards in this game. Like, and, and they're the ones that, like I said, man, they'll, they'll run people straight off the cliff. Like, you know, I have people hit me up for my shows and they're like, the first thing I ask them, where do you train? If they don't train at a legit gym, I tell them any gym within an hour radius of them that I know. And if I don't know any, I tell them to Google the gyms and go get in a gym and then their coach will hit me up when they're ready. But these other promoters will take a guy like that who know they'll know it's like an 18 or 19 year old kid who's never fucking trained, not doesn't have any credentials, and they just want to get started in MMA, and they'll throw them in there with somebody who's like five and oh, who's been training for like 10 years, and they'll get destroyed. And it's like, why are you even doing that? Now that kid may never who had passion for fighting and really wanted to try and further themselves in it. Now you just gave them such a sour taste in their mouth, they may hang it up and never do it again. Which I'm not saying that, you know, if you take one loss and you quit, that you were ever really going to do shit anyway. But, like, in more or less, like, it, it's a matter of, like, they, they're, it's just unfair opportunities. And then they also try and force you to take fights when you're not ready. So they'll be like, they'll hit you up. And they'll be like, hey, man, we got a match for you in two weeks. And you're like, well, man, you know, I'm coming back from a knee surgery. Like, I haven't even trained in six months. Oh, don't worry, man. You're you're four and oh. You'll be fine. You got this fight. Like, and it's like, no, man, you should really like I just had a guy who was uh, who had to pull, and I made the decision to make him pull because the guy called me and he's like, Look, man, I really don't want to pull from your fight, but I have a shoulder that's 30% tore in my you know, I've got a 30% tear in my shoulder. I've got an ACL that's 50% torn. I have three bulging discs in my neck and I have three bulging discs in my lower back. And he was like, I still want to fight though. I'm like, dude, that's dumb. You're talking about, this is your amateur debut. I was like, what happens if you get hit one time and with those already bulging discs in your neck, it then paralyzes you for life. I was like, it's not worth it. I was like, instead, heal up and when you're healthy then come fight i was like i'm not gonna be offended that that you've got a pool because of injury like and that like i said man that's where a lot of these promoters they'll try and make you do what they want you to do just because they're trying to line their pockets and uh if you're not wise to the business then it's very it's very easy and they, look man I've, I've seen countless people get consumed by it like and i and more or less i think you know, you asked you asked earlier uh, if more people don't realize how smart I am. It's on, honestly because I kind of play a poker face. Like, uh, I've always kind of played dumb and cut up and all that while I watch people and observe. 
because like, you know, like the last thing you want to do is be the know-it-all where you're trying to profess all, everything you know, because then no one wants to be around you. But two, like, you know, when people think you're dumber than what you are, then they think they can let shit slide. And so like when you watch people, like pretty much all I did was watch every promotion, every show I went and coached at, went and fought at or anything. And then I tried to implement the good that I see and I try and take away the bad. And like, and that's, that's really how it should be, man. Honestly, I think, uh, in my opinion, if the, if there's any up and coming fighters listening to this, then like you shouldn't go fight for a promotion that you can't look up that promoter's background. Like if that promoter doesn't have any martial arts knowledge other than just being a promoter, I think you should go find one of these regional promotions that are ran by a fighter. And there's a lot that are coming out now. You've got, uh, You've got Nate Diaz running his own promotion now. George Masvidal runs his. Um, Anthony Pettis runs his. You've got me running a show. There's Warren Thompson starting his own show in Georgia. It's called Elevate Fight League. Sam McAlpin is a fighter. Uh, he runs shows in Alabama. Like uh, Casey Oxidine is a fighter and a coach. He runs Showcase MMA, which runs shows from like Johnson City, Tennessee to like Myrtle Beach. Like go fight for one of those guys because they're going to give you more fair opportunity and be more honest with you. Like going to these other guys who are just like trying to run a show every fucking weekend. Like I'm going to tell you right now, one, those guys are the ones I'm talking about. They're, they're the ones that literally when they make you do a show every weekend, they, then it's, you have to fight if you're in contract with them. And that's why as a pro, I've never signed a three fight drip deal with anybody. Uh, until like, unless it's like UFC or Bellator, because what the regional shows will do to you on a, on those multi-fight contract deals is they'll be like, all right, say, you know, say they are giving you a, a, a decent opponent and they're like, all right, we'll pay you 300 and 300. And you're like, well, man, that's not enough. And they're like, all right, well, if you agree to a three fight deal, then we'll give you 600 and 600 each fight. And so you're like, fuck yeah. All right. Yeah. I get. 600 600 it's doubled what i'm gonna make this fight and then i get that guaranteed for the next two. Oh yeah that that sounds cool to me i'm making more money but what they don't tell you is the next two fights on your contract you fight who they want when they they want and you it's locked in at 600 so then it, those next two fights if you're anybody who's good they're gonna throw you like ufc level guys to get you the shit beat out of you because then that now they have that ufc guy on their show hoping that his name helps catapult their show. Makes sense. I love it. All sorts of great stuff from Billy Swanson. Billy, I really appreciate you joining me today. Um, I saw a post you made the other day, and it kind of prompted me to to reach out to you, and I'm very happy I did. You, you have all sorts of uh, great experience and wisdom within this industry uh, to draw on. I didn't know you were a state champion wrestler. So very cool to hear more about big, sexy Billy Swanson and about what you've been up to lately. Billy, I really appreciate your time. I look forward to speaking with you again sometime. Thank you very much. Hi, thank you, brother. I want to thank everyone for tuning into the Kelly Patrick show. Of course, we will have another episode out soon.